Welcome to Nutrition Matters with Beth. As I'm trying Good to figure mo- this morning. out. Morning, afternoon. Um, is that new intro music too? I'm working on it. It's one of them. I got to add the words and stuff into it. Awesome. We have sound. We're doing good today. Yesterday, I could not get the sound to work at the night show. Oh, no. During the day? Just the night show? It was technical errors on my half. What happened? It's, uh, you know, we've made it this far. We're halfway through the week. And for some reason, it is not sharing your your voice. I'm hearing, oh, it's not sharing my voice, my sound? Yeah, I'm working on it. Is there anything you need me to do? Nope. Okay. It is me playing with the program. Totally fine. So I have the radio show on my computer, the live feed on my phone, trying to figure out where I went wrong. Listen, I admire everything you do on the production end because I know nothing about that. And I got a Bluetooth in one ear, a headset in the other. I... (laughs) This is fun. Um, well, let's start the show while I screw around with this stuff. Yeah. Will it like will the my sound like eventually come back? Or, like, it will come you... back on the live feed. Your your sound is great on the radio. There's literally okay. on the live feed. Oh, okay. So it's like one one side is is uh. Not getting all of it. Okay. So, um, I I know we talked to di- about doing, working through our series still and doing some stuff about dinner, but I did get an email from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So, um, like our sort of like national association um, that was a response to a Washington Post article. Um, that has been going around the internet that I really would love to touch on and put my two cents in on as well. So um, I'm trying to pull up their, where's their clapback email, if you will. Um, so there was an article on, uh, here we go, there's their, their, uh, their response. There was an article in the Washington Post that came out on the 13th, so a couple weeks ago, and it was talking about how the food industry at large, which is something I feel like most people don't understand what the food industry is, but the title of their article is, The Food Industry Pays Influencer Dietitians to Shape Your Eating Habits, and they go into um, how there are... um, food industry, food brands that pay dietitians to make content for them, right? Advertising and marketing. Um, and they pick a few that were maybe a little bit more controversial, like somebody that worked with, like, I think it was called like the Canadian Sugar Association or something to that effect. Um, or dietitians who have worked with um, the American Beverage uh, I think it's just called American Beverage, um, and they sort of, the Washington Post sort of paints us in a negative light, right, um, to that dietitians are playing into marketing and maybe, um, uh, like, supporting or um, endorsing things that we don't necessarily consider, quote-unquote, good. But um, my take on it, and then we'll get to what the academy says, is that dietitians 
one, we have a code of ethics that we have to abide by in order to maintain our credentialing. And so part of that includes really looking at what we're recommending so and making sure that it goes by what we, one, believe in and our philosophy in terms of how we practice, but two, that it's true and scientifically backed. So even if it's not something that, like, the next dietitian agrees with and uses in their practice, it should still be scientifically backed, right? Um, and all of these dietitians did that. All of the dietitians that the Washington Post mentioned made sure that what they were backing was in line with their values and their nutrition philosophy and that it was scientifically backed. Um, and I think that it is phenomenal that there are dietitians in that space and really becoming what they're terming like food influencers. So my master's is in public health, right? So I'm all about like meeting people where they're at, um, either on an individual level or in the case of this, like at a much larger, broader level, right? Um, there's this opportunity to, yes, influence what people are eating for the general betterment of their health, and a dietitian will make sure that the, the information that they're putting out is scientifically backed. So it's not like a claim about like a certain quote-unquote superfood, right? It's going to be more about incorporating different things into a general healthy diet um, and debunking even some of those nutrition myths or like superfood myths that go around. Uh, and I know we've touched on that here a little bit too about how I feel about calling things superfoods. It really just doesn't exist. Um, but the uh, Academy, for so the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, sent a letter to the editor of the Washington Post and then also sent it to, um, uh, actually, it looks like it came from, yeah, so Academy members and the Commission on Dietetic Reg Registration. So the CDR, Commission on Dietetic Registration, is who credentials us as dietitians nationally. Um, so this is their letter to the editor, and um, and it says in here, which I thought was very interesting, was um, they cite mostly like what I was talking about um, in terms of needing to abide by ethical standards and that type, and um, making sure that what dietitians are putting out is science, right? Um, the ending paragraph of their letter I thought was really great that it says, and I'm going to just direct quote it, all this information was provided to the Post reporters in advance of the story, but unfortunately the writers elected to mislead their readers with a false narrative, implying that non-disclosure of sponsorships is rampant in our profession. Speaking for the Academy members who abide by our code of ethics, we expected the Post to abide by a higher journalistic standard as well. Um, which I thought was a very um, professional way of kind of calling them out that they are, that the Washington Post is feeding into this narrative of giving dietitians um, a little bit of negative press. Um, so part of the Washington Post story, too, was that dietitians are being sponsored by this corporation, these corporations or brands, but then not disclosing it, um, which on social media you – have to disclose it um, as part of the posting guidelines, which would then also be going back to needing to abide by ethical standards, right, um, in terms of um, disclosing sponsorships. And I know, like, when I've run continuing education events and things like that, there's always you have to disclose any sort of, like, um, like financial relationships or sponsorships and things like that. So it's something that we as dietitians are very familiar with because while we may not all put like post and put on continuing education events, we all have to complete them. So we're very used to seeing these um, disclosures about uh, sponsorships and financial relationships and stuff like that. So I figured I would use my own platform um, 
to spread a little bit of knowledge about dietitian, dietitian code of ethics, and the fact that I think it's great that dietitians are getting into the food influencing area. And it's definitely not a vast majority of us by any stretch. Uh, most of us are in more like clinical hospital type roles, but I think that we are really the perfect um, people to bridge that gap and put out scientific information and combat a lot of like the, the non-regulated nutrition information that is out there. And there's my soapbox for the day. <laughs> you know, I think it's great that they are, by the way, we do have sound again. Um, that we are doing, that they're finally getting called out. Cause you go into social media, you have so many people talking about, this is the way to go. And you have all these supposed experts. There's like a documentary um, on Peacock. My husband found it and looked at it. And he's like, you need to listen, watch this. And I go, who wrote it? You know, and he, so many people don't look at the sources. And there's so much conflict of interest, studies and theories and everything that people are taking things for face value. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you can sound really convincing, and you can have a lot of, like, anecdotal stories, but that's very, very different than clinical research um, or any sort of, like, scientific-backed study, right? Like, you can have all these, you can, and then you also have, um, like, there, you can develop a little bit of a bias too, right? Like if you're going on and looking for like keto diet information, it, eventually like the algorithm, right? The almighty algorithm learns what you're looking for. So you're going to see over and over and over again, positive related material, even though it's scientifically not a great choice. Exactly. And it's even worse now with, like, AI because people can write anything they want and have it rewritten. Or they can, you know, type in a set of phrases and it'll pull up whatever it wants and you're not fact-checking it. I know, um, like, with ChatGPT and AI programs, our Hamlin University, which is a huge law school here in Minnesota, had it take the bar exam to see how accurate it was. And without oh, wow. doing anything but just typing in the questions and finding the answers through, you know, AI, it only got a C. But, I mean, it still didn't fail. No. That's so interesting. That, it's, yeah, there's there's so much information out there and to have like the, I feel that eventually, or I guess what's sort of coming is the role of dietitians in the social media space is really like a discerner of truth, right? Um, sort of a filter, if you will, of figuring out what's right, what's not, what's right in terms of like what's scientifically backed and what is not. And it doesn't mean that all theories are bad, right? Everything starts out as a theory, but also anybody can have a theory. And then it needs to be tested and proven before it becomes a scientific fact Um, or really like entered into the standard of care. And even like within our standards of care, um, different interventions have different like grades, if you will, in terms of, like, proven effectiveness um, and, like, the body of research supporting it. And so the more research that supports a certain intervention, um, like, the higher is the grade, basically. Um, So I think that there's, you know, we're a, a more, we dietitians are a newer field, right? It's not something that you saw everywhere say like 20 years ago so I think that there's still a little bit of like that growing pain and figuring out like how to accept us and integrate us as well 
And not only does it have to be proven, but it has to be duplicated. And in different people, right? So you can't say, like, okay, this works for this category of people, especially, like, right, diet interventions are so closely tied to just overall lifestyle interventions. And so one of the big things is figuring out, like, okay, is it the actual diet? that is making this different or is there something else about this group's lifestyle that's making the difference? So, um, yeah, it's, there's a lot that goes into it in terms of like the research arm, which I honestly never really got into the research arm. I can, I will gladly read it and interpret it, but I'm not going to set up a study or run it. Um, but there's a lot there to try to be right to be able to say that yes, it was in fact the food that made a difference, rather than like okay, these people live in a walkable urban area versus this group lives in a like rural community without sidewalks, so they can't walk for transportation, and also the grocery store is 30 miles away. So a variety of factors that come into play. Now, how much of these factors actually comes into play that involve genetics? Because there was a, a big YouTube video out there. My husband watched it and was telling me about it, how it was so interesting. And he literally says that genetics have nothing to do with any illness. It is all yourself. And I started so thinking about this you? and I go, if that's the case, then how do babies not even born yet have problems? Yeah, will you send it to me? Because I, I'm trying to learn YouTube and like learn how to post videos. It makes me sound so old that I can't do this. Um, but I like, so I did a reaction video to the Netflix documentary um, "Live to 100" that I'm attempting to learn how to post. Um, but I'd love to see that too, and then I'll do like a reaction video to it. But no, okay, that well, absolutely plays a role. When you're ready to post, let Go me ahead. know, and I'll hop you through the steps and teach you how to do it. <gasps> Yay! Yeah, because I've tried twice, and it, like, fails or something. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, we'll do a Zoom video. Okay. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Because <laughs> I would love to start doing, like, I don't know, just, like, 10-minute little reaction videos. Um, you know, I've got a platform I might as well use it to spread my opinion yeah that's the whole point you know you got YouTube and TikTok yeah great place to put them yeah I did start a like a little series on TikTok I need to make more of them and it's really born out of this Washington Post article is um like a who owns your food series and (laughs) it's looking at like the brands that we consider quote-unquote healthy and who their parent company is and what other things that same brand owns, right? Because if you're looking at a dietitian that's sponsored by, say, like, say they get a sponsorship to to do some content through, like, Pepsi, right? Pepsi doesn't just make soda, right? They also own, I think it's Aquafina, like a bottled mm-hmm. water brand. Like, there's other things under that Pepsi name, Um but you're never going to see somebody sponsored by just Aquafina, like just a piece of that brand. It's always going to be that parent company. Um, and I think that that's something that's a little bit misunderstood, that most of the time when you're going to the store and you're buying a brand, somebody else owns that brand. Like it's not what you're buying. Um, right, like yeah, General Mills. They own everything. Yeah. Kellogg, General Mills, Pepsi. And Conagra um, Foods was another really big one. And that's, like, Conagra Foods is one of the, like, publicly traded gigantic, um, like, parent food companies. And so it's, um, yeah, it's not, it's not what these articles make it out to be that, like, this, I mean, yes, the food, like, the American beverage um, group that one dietitian was sponsored by, like, it's not, they're not promoting, like, soda, right? It's beverages at large. It's not, which includes a multitude of healthy options. Um, so, 
and it's interesting because the Washington Post, when I was like pulling up some stuff for today about this, it was almost exactly a year ago that they ran a very similar article about um, about well the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics accepting money from quote unquote junk food makers. Um, and it's, it, that's another one where it's like, okay, tell me who is a junk food maker, right? Because that same brand probably makes other foods that, that the consumer would consider super healthy, right? Um, so it's not, there's not one brand that makes junk food and nothing else. I think it's the same people that make like, I'm probably going to be wrong. I got to look it up. Um, I think it's the same people that make, like, Quaker Oats, right? I'm pretty sure they also make Pop-Tarts. They do. Yeah. I own so both of like, them in my kitchen right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, well, so, like, Pop-Tarts are 100% in the junk food category, but I would never put oatmeal in the junk food category. So tell me what is a junk food company. Um, so it's just, a, a, like, I kind of – roll it into like another almost like slander piece against the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and Dietitians by the same um, newspaper. Are they written by the same person? Hang on. I want to know. What I always find interesting is we're all... They are. And health food is like the only way to eat, right? But yet, and all junk food, all junk food, candy, everything is bad. But what is the big holiday coming up on the weekend, uh, at the end of the month that is nothing but candy that we all take our kids to go get candy? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and that's one of those things where, like, a dietitian is either, like, there are some that run with the um, philosophy of handing out something besides candy, right, being part of the solution of picking something else. And then there's also dietitians that you'll find that teach more towards the end of, like, moderation. And so using it as a learning tool of, like, okay, how much are you going to have? Um, and then even within the realm of, like, some moderation philosophy, you have the idea of having a little bit over time, right? So, like, what we usually think of as moderation of, like, okay, you can have three pieces a day, right, or something like that. Or the other end – like not end, but like another piece of the moderation is to just let the kids have whatever they want the day of and teach that this is a very special day. This is not what it's like every day. And then space it out of like, okay, you could have like X number of pieces a day. Um, So even within moderation, there's different theories, right? Um, Which all have um, evidence of like, um, working in terms of supporting overall healthy eating habits. My whole so, view is yeah, if, but you can, if you don't teach your kids how to eat healthy, give them the options to learn to eat healthy, when they get to that age where they're on their own and eat whatever they want, they're not going to know the, know how to eat healthy and not learn moderation and not learn food is there for to help you and for whatever reason, whatever you want. Kids that are restricted on so much in their lives and controlled they never learn and those are the kids that have the problems now this is so interesting they were written by the same person isn't that great yeah so yeah there's food is much much deeper in terms of like branding than we ever see on the surface as a consumer in the grocery store. Um, So, and that's why I usually approach food like very neutrally. It's not that it's good or bad. It just is. And it's where it fits into your, into your life or into your day. Um, Versus like, oh, you should never eat this. Right. You know, it's like now they've changed the label for GMO. You won't see GMO on most products anymore. Because it's gotten such a bad 
negative, now it's bioengineered. Oh, yeah, it means the same thing. Um, it does. That's another very interesting topic, the bioengineered, because um, where was I? I'll have to find it, but I was watching a documentary years ago. So, of course, I don't remember what it was called. But basically, how would we feed the entire world? If you look at it from, like, a world hunger public health perspective, how would we feed everybody without bioengineering or genetically modified food? Because that bioengineering and genetic modification is what helps us prevent, like, huge crop failures, right, from disease and things like that. It helps us produce enough to feed more people. It's just an interesting, like, area of thought. Like, would there be another way to make it work? My only problem with GMO or bioengineered is when we start producing things in labs and we call it meat even though it's not. Yeah. When I go to the store, I want to buy a cow with a buy cow. Yeah. So there's a lot of, yeah. And when we think about, you know, the GMO and the bioengineering stuff, a lot of that started back in the Depression. Um, Tyson came out with interbreeding chickens to come up with, a big roasting chicken. The original chickens that we knew of were small. And they weren't right. And so families would need to to feed a family. Can they sell the bioengineered meat or like lab grown meat yet? Um I don't know. I don't think like I know that they're working on it and studying it and things like that but I don't think you can sell it yet right so this is not for those for everybody listening like it's not plant-based meat so this is not like a beyond burger or like impossible meat or something like that like this is it would be actual muscle fiber yeah Yeah. cell cultured meat produced it is approved sale. It is. It is. Um, Good Meat and Upside Foods are the only two companies that have been approved to sell it. Interesting. I wonder if it. It looks like it's also going to be wildly expensive. Lab-grown chicken um, is what they've got right now. Interesting. Oh, it did. It received clearance from the FDA last year. Yep. Huh. We shall see where that goes. It's definitely different. Um, and I know one of the big issues with, like, um, uh, like the GMOs or bioengineered food is that it's, we don't know what the impact is on long-term health outcomes because it hasn't been around quite long enough or like mainstream consumed long enough to say what will happen, right? If you're eating primarily genetically engineered food versus not. Um, So, and then it it plays into that fear of the unknown, right? Like there might be zero issue with it. It might be completely fine, but we don't necessarily know. You know, this is, I don't know. I When I think of things like this, I think of, like, my grandmother grew up on a farm, and she used to play outside while they were flying over with the pesticides, right? She and her siblings, and now they're all, like, railed with cancer. Um, but at the time, they didn't know that that was bad. So it's an example of how it can turn out very negatively, but you also you just don't know. It could be right. fine. And all it's like when you drink out of a house. I still drink out of a house. Yeah, my kids <laughs> do too. <laughs> I'm like, I definitely still do that. 
and my children do it. That's um, uh, yeah, we do. It, I know it's not good. There's all kinds of stuff growing in there, but like, we still do it. Um, as long as you let it run a little, little bit first. But you yeah. gotta do it anyway because your hose and water is too hot when you first turn the water on. Yeah, which is how things grow. <laughs> But it's, you don't, you don't know what you don't know, I guess. And I honestly, like, in, for me, I'll try this. Like, I would try the lab-grown meat. I'd be interested to see how the texture and taste is because, like, I know for, like, I can tell the difference if it is um, very specifically, like, a, a locally sourced, like, um, chicken or cow that's been pasture-raised. Um, I find that meat tastes very different than what I'm getting in the grocery store. So, like, commercially available meat. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would be interested to see if the lab-grown meat has a completely different taste profile to it or texture or anything as compared to those. But I'll try just about anything. (laughs) I will as long as I don't know what it is. You can tell me after I try it. I don't want to know before. Oh, I eat see, it. I don't care. You you can tell me beforehand, Molly. Like, all right, let's see what happens. I just and then and then of all things, the food I don't like, I hate pickles. <laughs> like that's what it comes down to for me. It's like every once in a while, but for the most part, I just they're not my thing. Of all the different things I've tried. That would be the one. Not a bad thing. But, you know, it's like, um, remember back when we were kids, you could buy those suckers that had, like, little bugs in them? You can still get them. And they were real bugs. Yeah. So bugs, right, like ants and other, like, insects are are actually a large portion of uh, the protein source for diets in other places not here Mm -hmm. so while we think it's like kind of gross and weird it's very common in other places you think about too you know how many spiders do you actually digest if you sleep with your mouth open oh gross i can't (laughs) (laughs) maybe that is my maybe it's my limit i don't think i can eat a spice i don't it's like i've had those lollipops and i can't I can't bring myself to eat the insect part of it, even though I, I logically know that there are other places in the world where, like, that's very normal. <laughs> I remember back but when I, I was just, a kid, my grandma uh, used to make raisin pie. So one day she was making it, and my um, mom's boyfriend at the time, my stepdad was over, and he's never heard of it, never seen it before. And she's sitting there, you know, um, it's in the summer, so you have the flies in the house. And she's hitting them with the fly swatter. And she, and she goes, yeah, you know, this looks good put in the pie. So he literally thought that she was putting flies in the pie because we called them his little raisins look like bugs. Oh, my gosh. So he <laughs> thought you guys were eating a full pie of it? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yes, I mean you can, right? I just, yeah, flies. Are I did. You know where they come from. You know where they land on and what they do. That just that creeps me out. It's like roaches. I don't know if if I, even, I don't know if there's anywhere that eats flies very specifically. I know more of like 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 ants and spiders, scorpions. Um, scorpions are not bad. You've had them? I have. Oh, East African oh. countries. They do eat flies. They grind them up to use as a protein source. I got an issue with spiders. And China uses um, small roaches as either a snack or a topping on a dish. Who does that? Says that there are um, 
in China. China remains oh. one of the highest consumers of exotic foods in the world, and cockroaches are no exception, according to the World Population Review. Review. Oh, that just that creeps me out. Just because down south, roaches are bad, and it's not like in your house or like out in public, like on the streets, especially like in Texas. So we used to always joke. It's, but then, yeah. That the roaches have their own military brigade because you have the crawling ones. Those, that's the army. You have the flying ones. That's the air force. And you have the ones that are in the water, which is the navy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, but it's not right. That's one of those things where, like, no, it's not common for us, but for somewhere else, like they are a good protein source. It's just, it's just different, right? And so it's part of that, like, learning about different cultures. And that is, you know, you can accept it. Doesn't mean you have to do it. That kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and ants. Camel's like I just bad. looked up the ant one. Camel's not bad. See, I've never had camel. Where did we? I've had ostrich jerky. And then, I mean, you can buy bison in the store. That's like a pretty, I feel like, more common. And um, did I eat alligator? I know I've been places where it's on the menu. Oh, that's really good. All different kinds of stuff. And um, so what's nice where I particularly live, right, in upstate New York, is that I get the opportunity to talk um about venison, right, about deer meat, Mm -hmm. um, which is not in everybody's diet, but when I get um, any clients that are hunters and do get venison, um, it's a great lean protein. So even though it's red meat, (coughs) it's very lean. So it's different than what is generally talked about when it comes to red meat um, because it's a very lean protein source. How far are you from Buffalo? So that's five hours. Oh. That's western New York. So geographically, New York has, like, its regions, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm about three hours from the city, um, on it, like, like, to get into the city, not to get anywhere inside the city. That's, like, another three hours. Um I'm about three hours from the city, but I'm also about three hours from Boston. Or, like, I do I do menu planning and menu review for the Head Start program in Bennington because that's only 45 okay. minutes from me, Bennington, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Buffalo's five hours. That's considered west. Right. Yeah. Because um, we will be live that week of Memorial Day in Buffalo, New York. I'll come out. We are doing a um, special at the U.S. Naval Park and at Russell's Steakhouse at um, Heroes Park for Memorial Day. So I'll be out there all week. Oh, cool. We'll be live on yeah. location. Send me the information. I'll come out. Awesome. I'll bring my... Need to meet Rod and Linda in person. I'll make my that's what I think Ron was saying. I think was that when you were out this past, like over this past year, were you out there for Memorial Day this past year? Yes. Yeah, because he was telling me about that last week, and so I'm like, oh, I'll do it. Um, and it's, I'll come out. I'll bring my children. I'll make my parents. It, yeah. It'll be a family that's going to be really cool because oh, we're going to actually have concerts in the different areas to raise funny money for the Battle Within organization and other organizations to help with suicide prevention and mental health help for veterans and service members. So that's, I think I may have told you this, but I don't think I've ever shared it like on the show. So my dad was in the army, um, kind of. He was in the National Guard, but he was full-time National Guard because, you know, the government is interesting like that. Um, yeah, he was a state employee, so not a federal though, employee, but he was still military. 
Um, so he was a he was a federal employee, though. I don't. I will never even begin to understand. I also have theories that he was not what he says he was. More than likely. Yeah. A lot of us are. Um. Yeah, yeah, because he has a bronze star um, that he says that he got for doing his job. I'm like, you did more than your job to get that. Saying what his job was. But, well, right. Or he was, in fact, doing just his job. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so he was, in fact, a federal employee. But, yeah, so I don't think he's well, – anyway, I'll probably get in trouble. But, anyway. Um, yeah, so I'll, he would probably be very interested in coming out with me. And then I would have more help with my children. Yeah. Oh, and because I feel like, well, here, well, is the Battle Within organization um, is ran by Mark Donnelly, and his wife is a school teacher. And we okay. have it set up where we have, because both my kids are special. So we have it set yeah. up where we have a bunch of individuals that have trained and understand and know how to work with kids to help in the background. Oh, that's great. Because last year was the first time my kids have ever left Minnesota, ever took a trip anywhere, and never, where they didn't come <laughs> home for the night. And we had every contingency plan backed up. And they it's, did phenomenal. So my. My daughter, so my daughter's four, right? She turned one April of 2020. So she has not seen or done very much. Um, But before she was born, even while I was pregnant, so 2019, (coughs) like we went to my, we went to Florida for a week for vacation. And then I went with my parents to Texas for a weekend to visit my brother and like brought my son with me. So he did it was three flights to get down there. And like, I was just like, all right, whatever. Like, and just packed up and took him. So he is very used to like just packing up and going with mom wherever. And then, um, but my daughter is still like getting used to it a little bit. Um, and kind of navigating that because she just hasn't had that same experience. Like we're just starting to do it again. And so it's, it's very new for her. Um, but it helps that she sees her brother be like okay with it. But you know, the nice thing is, is the environment with the naval park is that everybody is so welcoming and so understanding, and they got people hands on. It is. It was a yeah. great experience. I planned for everything that could go wrong, and literally with my kids, nothing went wrong. And that's like, like if we're gonna do the show and stuff too, it's super helpful to have other people that can, you know, it's that it takes a village, right? Like other people that can jump in and help so that you can get what you need done completed. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was the first time my husband actually had to deal with the kids in public kind of on his own. Yeah. Without mom being able to back him up because mom was doing the show was, you know, doing everything behind the scenes so I'm running all over the park and connecting all these stuff up and working with all these different people and coordinating all these events yeah it turned out really well I was impressed we're gonna do it next year even longer and that's where like I mentioned like I would bring my parents I don't think I've ever this is something I just don't really put out there much but like I'm also a single mom so like just me like I don't I have I bring my parents with me other than that, it's just me. And that's it. So, well, like, to try to work and parent at the same time is hard. Um, occasionally, I'll work with the kids home, but for the most part, like, they go to after school, after, like, they go to an after school program so that I can work until, like, three thirty, four o'clock, and then I can just mom when they come home right like I Mm -hmm. block schedule my life basically and that's how I can get things and give it my attention that it needs to the point where like you know tying it back to food I have in my calendar a block of time for sitting down to write out the menu for the week and it usually order groceries I usually don't actually make it to the physical grocery store 
because to do that by yourself with two children is hard, expensive. And I, <laughs> it is, and it's hard. I do it with my two. Oh, can you order your groceries where you are? Yes and no. Um, some things I can, some things I can't. But with them if, being autistic, I like to take them into the store yes. to get them used to being in that environment. The okay, hard part yeah. is, is that we're getting to that point where they like to help shop. Oh. And dad don't go shop. No. So it's mom does shopping with the kids because I do it during the week. Oh, no. And they're getting better. That's so you'll hear my kids say all the time, we're poor, because that's what I've taught them. And that they look at prices, and if it's over a certain amount, it's too expensive because we're poor. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a word game. I've taught them so that they're not throwing fits in the store if they want something and they know they can't have it. That's – I – um. Yeah, they, yeah, my children also are like, well, did you get paid today? And I'm like, it's not, especially now that I completely work for myself. I'm like, I mean, yes, but also no, like, yes, but I'm going to buy you like bread instead of the plastic car that you want. (laughs) So I guess I approach it from more of like a priority standpoint of like, sure, I have the $5 for that, but that's not where I'm spending it. Yeah, they don't understand that yet. Um. Yeah, I started yeah, that when they were really little. Yeah, <laughs> I whatever works, it's um, and whatever helps them understand, and that's something that's interesting about like any work that I've ever done with children, but mostly now it's just with my own of like breaking it down into something that they can comprehend and make sense to them, you know, and it's like, you know, it might not be a hundred percent accurate, but it fits their like framework and understanding of the world, right? Exactly. You know, and that's what we yeah. work on so hard in our house is just getting them to understand basics. And especially yeah. when it comes to food, like, because my kids are polar opposites. My daughter, her idea of a treat at the store is buying the produce aisle out. Oh. <laughs> and so, you know, I, um... my kids, my daughter got cavities from eating tomatoes. It's so I have one. So, yes, my child that prefers fruits and vegetables, right? Like, I have to like shoo him away from eating the raw broccoli while I'm trying to like make roasted broccoli. Um, he's the one that's had cavities. And then my, my daughter is the one that will <laughs> literally like spoon sugar into her mouth if I let her. And so far, she doesn't have any cavities. But I don't know. Also, people's That's, teeth are just different. They are. And it's just, it's baffles yeah. me. My son can eat all the crud yeah. in the world and he's fine. But my daughter even looks at something and she'll get a cavity. It's just like some people's teeth are, I mean, I'm, I'm clearly very much not a dental hygienist or a, diet, or a um, dentist. But, you know, some people have like softer teeth that are more prone to cavities, I guess. Or mm-hmm. like. Yeah. I don't know if it's like the bacterial composition of your mouth is different. And so like some people are better at fighting off the the cavities than others. But yeah. It's, and uh, it also depends on how much they drink. Because you're rinsing your mouth off. And I know like with my doctor, Dennis, they told me with my daughter because she brushes her teeth, but she'd rinse her mouth out afterwards. Well, when you're rinsing your mouth out oh, after you're done... Washing the fluoride off, so you're you're losing that barrier. Yeah. Or um, mouth breathing. My son breathes with his mouth open, mm-hmm. like when he's sleeping, and so that's like drying out your mouth and um, just creating more stuff on your teeth. Yeah. I don't know. There's probably a dental hygienist listening to this screaming internally about how I don't know all the right words. I can already tell, but. I'm trying, and I would definitely defer to their judgment. As I'd love for them to come on and help us explain this one, because yeah, I have the same issues. But I know, like tomatoes have a very high acid content. Yeah, the acidity of things, or like I think 
I drink a lot of coffee. Um, and so I know that that, like, stains my teeth. And I get talked to every time I go about the stains on my teeth. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's not going to stop. <laughs> but, yeah, the acidity content of food does make a difference as well on your tooth enamel. It's not just sugar. Yeah. But then it's that, that that world that we live in where, you know, we're so brainwashed into thinking that you, there's only one way to eat and that, you know, all these diets are supposed to be on that particular diet because that's what's getting pushed. And the kids are only supposed to eat all this healthy food. And I'm one of those it parents. doesn't solve everything. I'd rather they just eat something. Get some, if it's ramen, it's if, ramen. If it's some Chinese dinner, I don't care. It's, I was trying, I was actually explaining sort of like my personal philosophy of how I approach um, what I do, right, as a dietitian. And the, the thing I realized is that I do what's called like habit stacking, right? And the very first thing is, making sure that you're eating something, right? And I focus mostly on the the habit of feeding yourself first before I move into literally anything else, right? Like that comes first. Are you feeding yourself? And then once that is established, then we get more into it. A lot of people just think that I'm going to dive right into, like, eating certain berries or whatever. I don't know, whatever the latest thing is. And, like, it's really an overarching pattern. And, like, you know, with many children, especially if there's any sort of, like, sensory texture type issues going on, um, putting in literally something that is edible is the step, first step. Um, right? Like, cool. It's ramen. It's edible. Like, excellent. And then move on from there. And, like, play around with, like, okay, if that's an acceptable, like, taste and texture, what other things can we try to introduce? And kind of working through it that way um, it gets you so much farther, right, than trying to force things that you know aren't going to work right off the bat. There's a lot of behavior change that goes into it. There is. And it's in all forcing food. I have a hard time with that. Because I worry that that's going to do more damage down the road. Like even just, I've figured out with my son, if you just let him go sit down by himself, he will eat as opposed to trying to force him to sit at the table with all of us. I think there's just too much going on for him to want to be able to comfortably sit next to us, sit at a family table. Yeah, and that's so yeah. awesome. That's literally him self-regulating. And, like, one of the things I just last, last week, I don't know, time blends together. Um, I think it's last week. I did a an Instagram Live with um, a uh, – mental health counselor talking about like food anxieties, right? And one of her big suggestions is reducing other like distractions during the mealtime. And for him, right, for your son, eating with the family is a distraction. Mm-hmm. So good for him, like essentially self-regulating and knowing, like listening to his body and eating somewhere different. You know, that and, you know, finishing your plate. Oh, yeah, the clean plate club? Yeah. We, I, I'll i have her take a couple more bites just so she tries everything on her plate. Then I'll let her get up and do it. A lot of times when you make dinner, they make Like, I'll make dinner early because I got a lot of stuff going on in the evenings, so that way they get food. Yeah. Dad's idea of dinner is like a pizza out of the... There's, yeah, there's different uh, 
levels of making dinner. Um, one thing I used to do when I was in grad school, um, so I had my son in grad school. I, this is back when I was still married. Um, and I literally thought I couldn't have children, decided to apply for grad school. The week classes started, found out I was pregnant. So um, that's when I started making my own freezer meals so that dad could make dinner that, like, I would (coughs) want to feed to the family, right? Um, And so I would – my mom would come over and help me, and we would make freezer meals for the semester so that at least, like, twice a week – so I was making at least 24 meals – at least twice a week, we knew that there's something that he could pull out of the deep freezer and put in the oven. Um, And that really was so helpful. I should really do that again, actually. Um, But, yeah, we used to do it a semester at a time, so 12 weeks for the fall, 12 weeks for the spring, and then I did classes in the summer, too, so 12 weeks for the or whatever. I think it's only eight weeks for a summer session. That's one of those things where I look back on it and I'm like, I don't really know how I did that. But I did grad school with a uh, newborn. He was two when I graduated. But as a mom, you do what you need to do to get everything done. There's actually, for a long time, the University at Albany, where I did my grad school, um, there was a picture of the two of us up on their website because after I walked across the stage at graduation, he was crying. So dad brought him down to me. Um, and I just took him in the row with me. So it's me, all the other people like, you know, in my row and everything. And then he's there with his little bow tie and suspenders sitting on my lap. That's so cute. Yeah. It's a horrible picture of me, but I still, like, love it because it's just a it captures a very specific moment. So we are out of time for today. And didn't talk about dinner at all. Well, next week. Yeah. This was an important thing that I wanted to bring up, the, the Washington Post stuff. So It's a very, a very important thing. I got to rechange the um, description. Yeah. But, hey, it's extremely important to talk about, you know, the misconceptions in the food and how, you know, it's like the egg theory a few years ago. You know, one year eggs were bad to eat. Next year they were good to eat. You know, and they kept flip-flopping every other year. So they started losing a little bit of credibility. Yeah, because we like news stories that are black and white, right? Not like a, this is good if, or here are the, like, limitations to to keep in moderation. We like a very, this is good or this is bad. So. That's it. We end up with conflicting stories. So, join us next week for talking about dinner. Yes. And then the following week will be brunch, and it'll start leading us into the holiday season and starting with Halloween and how to oh, yes. eat healthy for you, because it says it's healthy doesn't mean it's healthy for you, and how to enjoy your holidays in the hustle and bustle and making time for food. Some of us forget to eat when Absolutely. we get just wrapped up in the world and getting everything ready for everybody else. Oh, yes. And join right. us tomorrow. Well, thank you. Thank you. And join us tomorrow at noon Eastern with Family Time with Bob Oakley. Bye for now. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.